With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now it's time to get to work. All right, welcome back to another Mile High Report Radio podcast. And again, this post game uh, this post game show is all about a Broncos victory, which is it feels good, right, Ian? Like we are we're watching the Broncos win football games, and that feels correct. It does. It's what teams need to do. Uh, it hasn't been pretty. But as the old adage goes, there, there it isn't a beauty contest. So you, you don't get points for how pretty, or you don't get points deducted for how ugly a law a win is. So at this point, uh, they've won three of five. They've won two games in a row against two playoff caliber teams. And now, as we we said on the preview podcast, they're in the playoff discussion now. This is something that can be talked about, debated about, conversed about. And it's it's different. It's it's a complete 180 from where we were what, 5 weeks ago? Oh, probably less than that, maybe 3 weeks ago, right? Off, off the bye, we were it was devastation, dejection. Uh there there was nothing uh to look forward to except for the draft and now uh, I mean, I know so. I know there are some fans out there that think this is a mirage, or maybe this isn't worth it. You know, what's the point of going eight and eight, which is something that they they could eventually do, um, depending on how some of the chips fall. But if if they win out, I mean, like we said, ten and six is a playoff team. At least that's the way we see it um, playing out. The only team that really stands in their way at this point is Baltimore and themselves. Right? Is that? sort of a fair assessment of that. And they took care of step one today after beating the chargers. It was like, okay, if they could beat the chargers and then they could beat the Steelers. Now we can kind of get excited about some things and they beat the chargers and we kind of went, okay, all right, well maybe, but they got to beat the Steelers. Well, now they beat the Steelers. So yeah, I think, I think we are excited and it feels good. And, and there's, there's a lot of positive things to talk about coming out of a, a victory against 
what you and I have decided, and I think people will agree with us, is really one of the team's biggest rivals. And what stands out is they just, regardless of what happens over the course of the game, they face adversity and they don't get derailed like they did a season ago. If something goes against them, they continue to fight and they continue to push forward and just keep on keeping on. And we saw that with Will Parks, who I think made the play of the game, short of Shelby Harris's game-winning interception. His tackle and forced fumble that probably would have been a touchdown, Mm. should have been a touchdown on probably 100 out of 100 attempts, flipped the game. If Will Parks gives up on that play, as is customary for some players in the NFL to do, I don't think we're talking about the Broncos beating the Steelers. So Will Parks, on not giving up on that play and changing the game with one of four turnovers, which is another aspect of this game, you can look at the yardage that Big Ben and the Steelers put up, but the four turnovers, again, to win the turnover margin two weeks in a row is why they won this football game. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and you're right about the Will Parks hit. He he wasn't making a business decision there. He was making a football decision. And he he lined that up perfectly. In fact, I, I went back and watched that play a couple of times just a little bit ago just because I was uh, – it came across my, my Twitter feed and I wanted to see it again because I kind of was curious about it because it looks like he's not going full speed at first. And then all of a sudden there's this burst as he gets closer – and it almost looked like, to me, it, this is just the way I read it when I first saw it, and then when I went back and, and looked at it again. Like, he was making a decision there. Like, it looked like he was trying to decide if he was going to get there or not, and then it was almost like, screw it, I'm going. And he hit he hit the afterburners, and that collision was, was a huge collision. And it worked out. And you're right. I think you, you run that play 100 times. 99 times he gets into the end zone, it's a touchdown. Whatever, I can't even remember the name of the player who he blew up. But that one time, Will Parks is going to win that battle, and it just happened to be this one time that he won it, but he wouldn't have won it last year. Like, I think last year at this point in the season, and obviously at this point in the season, things were not going well, Will Parks lets that go, right? He kind of he half, half-heartedly makes a, a 90% effort knowing he's not going to get there, and... Pittsburgh scores and they go on to win and and we're sort of sitting in the same place. The players seem to, and this is what that play kind of signifies to me, the players seem to believe that they can win on every play. They can win on every down. And they are going to make things happen. And that's what he did there. He decided he was going to win that play. And he did. And in winning that play, it opened things up for the Broncos and it made it possible for them to go ahead and win this game. Without that, they lose. And I'm going to get this out of the way now. There's there is a lot of angst in the comments section on my winners and losers because I put Vance Joseph in the losers list. And it, it was solely because of that fake field goal that he should have called a timeout on. 
There are multiple reasons he should have called a timeout. The Broncos only had 10 guys on the field. Prior to that, the Steelers were working on snaps that were completely different, according to James Palmer, who tweeted that out. Even he saw it. So Vance Joseph and his guys up in the booth didn't see that? Why didn't they see that? I mean, the point is, there are very there are very few opportunities for a head coach to directly impact a game. And that was a moment that directly impacted the game, and he failed. He failed it. The reason the Broncos won was not because of Vance Joseph. They won despite Vance Joseph. And I said coming into the game that the Broncos were going to win this game despite the incompetence of Vance Joseph. And they did that. That Will Parks play had nothing to do with Vance Joseph. Shelby Harris's interception had nothing to do with Vance Joseph. Philip Lindsay only getting 14 carries. That has everything to do with uh, with Vance Joseph. And his offensive coordinator. I mean, at some point, it's going to bite them like it did against the Jets. And as I said in, in, in that little blurb about Vance Joseph, it's clear, and we talked about this in Slack, coaches around the NFL do not respect Vance Joseph because they know how incompetent he is. Mike Tomlin calling that fake field goal is another indictment on that. Yeah. That's why I put him in the winner. That's why I put him in the losers list. Because, like I said, there are very few opportunities for a head coach to directly impact a game. And whenever he gets an opportunity to directly have an impact on the game, he fails and he fails miserably. Yeah, the only thing that play needed was Bill O'Brien yelling across the field, "Way to go, Vance! You dumb bleep!" Uh, <laughs> because it was. That one was clearly on Vance Joseph and his coaching staff, who didn't recognize that there was a potential there for for a fake field goal, right? They didn't even consider it. And then to only have 10 guys on the field and to not call timeout, they could have called timeout just to call timeout. It's not like they needed the timeouts. Right. They had two timeouts left. Two timeouts left. You're not three seconds left. You're not taking them with you to the second half. So in that case, to me, you call timeout before they even snap the ball. You just go ahead and it's not about icing the kicker. It's not about anything. It's about taking the timeout just to just to make sure you have everybody where you want them. Now you've seen how they lined up. Now you've seen how they warmed up. All right, we're going to take our timeout. We're going to we're going to give them a chance to rethink things because I tell you this, the other thing and I just thought of this as I'm sitting here and I, I actually kind of think it makes sense. If you take that timeout as a head coach, what it does is it gives the other head coach time to think about the play that he's about to call. And and let's not let's let's not make a joke out of this. The truth is the smart play is to kick the field goal. That's the smart play. And Mike Tomlin, if you call timeout there, will have second thoughts. So not only are you calling timeout to just make sure you have your ducks in a row, you're also calling timeout so that if the opposing head coach is thinking of doing something crazy or something that's maybe percentage-wise not the right play on the card that he's holding, he'll have second thoughts, and he won't do it. Then instead of a touchdown, you give up a field goal, and it's not so bad. Or they still go for it, you're ready for it, and you stop them. 
So I, I think you're right in that in that in that particular play at, at that moment, Vance Joseph failed. Vance Joseph had an opportunity to make a difference there, and he did not. So so I can I can understand why you would put him on the loser's side of your list. It's your list, right? If people don't like it, then they can they can certainly say I disagree with this list. I think it I think you've done it, you know, you've done a disservice or whatever, and they can give their reasons and that's fine. But at the end of the day, that is the only play in this game that it feels like Vance Joseph had any direct impact. You're right. When you say that, it makes perfect sense. Now to flip it to the winners. How about the week for Shelby Harris? Oh, my gosh. So he not only gets the game-winning interception, but as I noted in in the story, he also comes away with a stat line that would put him on the list even if he didn't get that interception. He gets three tackles, three quarterback hits, one pass defended, and a half a sack. But to make it the week that he had, his he and his wife, mainly his wife, just gave birth to their third child on Friday, a daughter. Oh, really, only his wife gave birth. I mean, he was probably there, and he, he played a big role, but she's the one who did all the work. We'll give her the credit. That's a hell of a week. It's, it's a big week. That's a, that's a huge week for him. And, you know, he almost had the play of the game when he got the near safety on the touchdown pass that Ben Roethlisberger threw for 90, was a 97-yard touchdown pass to, to Juju. And you go, dang, he was, I mean, he was a split second late. If he could have gotten there just a split second earlier, we're talking about a safety. Because he busted through that line. I, I, ben Roethlisberger had no idea that was going to happen. And he was he was making plays all day. It was it was great. It was great to watch him perform in that game. Another winner that I had was Denver's defense, and it's because they go to that orange rush. And as you mentioned before we started recording, the Wade Phillips defense where you bend but don't break. And the Broncos defense has been bending mightily the last two weeks. I mean, they've beaten the Steelers and the Chargers, two of the best teams in the AFC. But in the process of doing that, they've given up over 1,000 yards of offense, including 846 yards passing and 51 first downs. But as we said before, the reason they won this game is because they forced four turnovers and only allowed 17 points. When you win the turnover margin against the Pittsburgh Steelers, you're going to beat them. Yeah, I mean, when you win the turnover margin, period, you're going to win. That's just, those are the percentages in the NFL. If you win the turnover battle, you win the game. And the Broncos won the turnover battle, and they won the game. Imagine that. So, again, it's it goes back to doing the, doing the little things right. And having those things work out into winning the turnover battle. The the Will Parks hit that we talked about, that's a huge turnover. The Shelby Harris interception uh, at the end of the game to end the game. Huge play. Ice is everything. Fantastic. Uh, the Chris Harris interception that leads to the Emmanuel Sanders touchdown. Another gigantic play. I, I mean, every turnover had a huge impact on the game. And that is because every player on the field went out there and played like it was like it meant something to them, which is great. I think I will say this, as we were talking about Vance Joseph, I do want to 
circle back just a little to give him some credit here. He does have his players ready to go each week. That that that's something that you can't argue with. It would just be nice to see him make good decisions during games. Maybe that's the next step at some point. I can get that with like peewee football that you need to get ready to play, but you're playing in the National Football League for the Denver Broncos in front of a rabid fan base against the number two seed in the AFC with your playoff hopes on the line. You shouldn't need a 42 or 43-year-old man to tell you, let's get fired up and play this football game. No, I don't think it's like that. That's, That's not what I mean. They know they're supposed to be fired up to play the football game. It's more along the lines of going through and just getting ready. They have a regiment that they do each week. Obviously, NFL teams are very much schedule-oriented, and I I think that the players probably um, are responding well to whatever it is that Vance Joseph is doing throughout the week. Look, I'm not sitting here telling you that Vance Joseph should keep this job I don't believe that he should. I don't believe Vance Joseph is the right guy for this team. I think you need to bring in somebody else. However, uh, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and just pound on the guy to, to push an agenda when I feel like that is an aspect of being a head coach that is important. You do have to have these guys ready to go. And the pushback I'll give you on that is these guys are adults, and so they should know how to do their job, but they're also people who make their own decisions about things and – when you don't have control over that, when you don't, you know, have some sort of of control over what your team does and how they operate and and what goes on in the, you know, during the week before the game, then it shows. It shows on the football field. And I think there were times throughout this season where Vance Joseph did not have his team prepared to play football. In these last couple of weeks he has. And I'm I'm going to give him a little credit for that. Just a little bit. Let's let's go on though with your winners and losers. Well, I and I and I I do agree with you on that. I I mean, there is a reason that meme of him in great practices has lived as long as it has, and I, I think you're seeing parts of that play out with in certain situations. They're ready, but at, at the same point, when you, when you see your defense give up over 500 yards of offense. It's harder to see it. Yeah, I get, what, I get what teams, you're saying. Oh, yeah. Special teams. Look, by was, no means is it perfect, right? By no means is it perfect. I mean, especially with that fake field goal and then the blocked punt or the block, the blocked field goal, they, they kind of block each other out. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's not it's not all bad for Vance Joseph. I His team won. He gets the credit for the win. Congratulations. I just don't think he should get left off the hook for that horrible decision on the blocked or on the on the extra on the the fake field goal. Right. I'm with you. But kudos for winning two games over two teams that are incredibly well coached and keeping pace with them. Um I, I think a huge part of this two game winning streak is Case Keenum because we mentioned the Broncos defense winning the turnover battle. They were able to do that because Case Keenum for the third straight game didn't turn the ball over. What was added in this game is that he also threw two touchdowns for 197 yards. And it just seemed like the offense was clicking. 
mainly because when they did run the football, it was very effective, which ties in to another winner on my list is Philip Lindsay. He only had 14 carries, but he finished with 110 yards. That's 7.9 yards per carry. It's almost eight yards a carry. It's it's comical, right? That's comical a little bit. It, so it would be really nice to see Philip Lindsay get 20 to 25 carries per game because he can clearly take it. He did not lose any, and I'm going to get a dirty look from my wife when I say this, he didn't lose any juice in his legs. He was running as effective yeah. in the fourth quarter as he was in the first quarter. I agree. I, I do agree with you. You know, I think ratio-wise, we, we kind of had this conversation on Slack a little bit. Uh, you, you know, some some of the guys at, at Mile High Report would just like Philip Lindsay to run the ball uh, every play, right? Just just three three runs to Philip Lindsay, and and then that's and then if we don't get the the ten yards, just punt. But doesn't work obviously but I, I think an increase in his workload closer to 20 carries would be nice I'd also like to see Royce Freeman with 10 to 15 carries a game I think if you see those guys getting 25 to 30 carries a game that's a better that's that's better than the 20 carries that they got today especially when Philip Lindsay is just he is just destroying them just just slicing them open for runs I, I do think Royce Freeman had a bit of a rough game um you know, he only had 17 yards, 2.8 yards a carry on six carries was was not his best game. I just think he had a bad game. I think generally speaking, those two guys running together are pretty are, are they're difficult for defenses because they're two different style runners, and so you have to prepare for both of them. And I just think that that's a missed opportunity that the Broncos have had really all year, and it it showed in this game as well because they just didn't run the ball enough. Absolutely. And it's a line that we've thrown out before. He was just filthy. Yeah, just just filthy. I get it. I, I see what you did. I like it. It's good. He's filthy. I get it. The other one that I will go with is Emmanuel Sanders. I, I mean, the heart that he plays with is massive. It, it's contagious. It's it rubs off on the rest of the guys, and to see the way that they they test the offense with his speed—I mean, test the defense with his speed—is something that's going to open up the the offense in the last five games, and it's great to see. Oh yeah, uh, seven seven receptions on twelve targets for eighty six yards and a touchdown. Uh, and he had uh, he had huge plays up and down the field. The the touchdown that uh, that Philip Lindsay scored later in the game, uh, he set that up with a catch. Uh, you know the two the after uh, Chris Harris's interception, he has two catches, uh, which is the entire drive, and scores a touchdown, which is a huge momentum swing in the game. Emmanuel Sanders was was all over the place and was a huge part of the offense and you know it helps that he's playing his former team I think I think guys get up for that I know they probably don't say that or it's sort of cliche which is fine 
but he he clearly was up for the game because he likes to play his former team. And, and Emmanuel Sanders is one of those guys that that comes out every week and just plays hard. And he's re- and he's really good. He, he, there's a reason my son keeps telling me, Dad, I want a I want a number ten jersey. Dad, I want a number ten jersey. I'm like, all right, I figure that out now. Guess Christmas is coming. I'll ask Santa. And then the other winner, big winner, is the the playoff hopes, because they're in they're in the discussion now. Yeah, they are. I mean, we did say if they beat Pittsburgh, you have to talk about it, which means I guess we were talking about it before they beat Pittsburgh. It sort of feeds itself, but you do have to talk about it. It's they're still a fringe team, right? It's it's fair to say that they're still the fringe team when it comes to the playoff picture because they do have to get past Baltimore and Baltimore holds the, the, the tiebreaker, but it's possible it's there. They just have to keep doing what they've been doing, which is win football games. The the other team to keep an eye on is the Colts because Mm -hmm. the way Andrew Luck is playing right now, well, the a- yeah, the AFC South is, is sort of interesting with Houston and Indianapolis. It's going to be one of those two teams that win the division, right? And so it's possible one of the other ones wins the wild card. And I think I think you would agree that, at least the way things look right now, the AFC West is going to be the Chiefs and then possibly the one of the wild cards in the Chargers, maybe. Well, I, think, I think the Chargers are going to be the five seed. So there, so there you go. So now, who's who's that number six seed? And it's I think it's a race between the Broncos and um, well, if the Broncos can get into it, I think they need another win to really solidify that conversation. But if they can get into it, it's between them, Baltimore, and and one of the two AFC South teams. And it, 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 if the Texans keep winning and the Colts keep winning, it's just going to make it that much tougher for the Broncos to overcome it because. You just it's more teams that you're going to have to leap over. Right. It's a, it's a lot of leapfrog going on, and it's that's a difficult thing to do in the NFL, especially when you're that far back. A lot of things have to break the right way. I, I don't think that – like, let's not kid ourselves. There's still several things that have to happen for the Denver Broncos to make the playoffs. Absolutely. But we can but talk nice, about it. But it's nice to at least have the discussion about it, especially where this team was – Three weeks ago. Three four weeks, ago. weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, it, coming out of that bye that after the after the loss to the the Texans, I mean, what what else can you say? They they were dead in the water, and now, you know, they're they're starting to swim to the surface again, which is which is a good thing, um, as long as they can keep 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 winning the turnover battle. I think that I think they'll be fine, and they actually got a gift today, perhaps depending on what happens with. Andy Dalton, if his uh, it looks like his X-rays were negative, but if his thumb is is really injured or if he can't grip a football as well as he would like to, they might have a shot at beating the Bengals. That, that might make it a little easier, I should say. They they have a shot at winning. I think they they really could win that game, but not having to go up against Andy Dalton makes it a little bit easier. You mean Hugh Jackson isn't going to make that big of an influence? I mean, no. Did you see? Did you see Baker Mayfield was 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 less than happy about that when when Hugh Jackson came over to shake his hand after the game? He kind of gave him the 
the old limp fish like yeah i don't really want to talk to you uh huh thanks for thanks for stopping by as he was trying to get off the field i didn't see it but that sounds hilarious yeah i mean he you know he gave him the uh-huh yeah nice to see you i gotta go what's <laughs> it was pretty great um I don't like to talk about Baker Mayfield because I wish he was a Bronco, but that's that's a draft that's a draft conversation. We should probably just move on. I think you just had Brandon Quinn just have a little tear. He did. I think I think Brandon cried a little. He'll tweet at us. He'll let us know. <laughs> There's one area that I thought was both a winner and a loser, and that was the special teams. Right. And what gets lost in the special teams play is Tim Patrick made a remarkable play on that punt to down it at the three yard line, but it gets lost because on the very next play, Ben Roethlisberger hits Juju Smith Schuster for a 97 yard touchdown. Yeah. I mean, it was a great play. He gets down there. And in fact, it was funny. I'm, I'm watching the game and my son and I are sitting there watching it and I go, Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's all right. It'll be inside the 20. Cause I thought fair catch. And I was totally I was juked just like the the cameraman was. And then the ball comes down, and and there's Tim Patrick knocking it out of bounds at the three. And I said, "All right, we're in business." And and then I was I was wrong. We weren't in business. The the Steelers were in business, and it was too bad. And then the other the other loser that I have um, aside from Vance Joseph is the no fly zone, or more aptly named the frequent flyer zone. You just you can't give up yards like that and expect to continue to win football games because eventually it's going to bite you in the butt. As yeah. I mentioned, they've given up 846 yards passing the last two games. At some point, that's going to catch up to you. Oh, yeah. And I get it. They're playing two of the best quarterbacks in football and Phillip Rivers and Ben Roethlisberger, and that's now not the case until they play the Chargers again at the end of the season because the combined record – for the next five games for these teams is 21, 33 and one. Oh. And that gets skewed because of the chargers eight and three record. But the secondary just all season long, it's been torched. Yeah. It's, it's hard to watch, you know, and it's, it's interesting because, uh, and I'm going to toot my own horn here a little bit. The score was only one point off from my prediction. I said 23 uh, to 18. It was 23 to 17. And so, Ha! But also, they only gave up 17 points. When a defense only gives up 17 points, you should win that game, and the Broncos did. But you're right. That many yards is... It sort of it tempers your excitement a little bit. It's great when you don't give up a lot of points, and that's exactly the recipe you need. If you don't give up any points, you're probably going to win the game. And and it's, it's, it's basic math, people, because no points in some points... There's more points in some points than there are in no points. But when you're giving up that many yards, that's going to turn into touchdowns eventually. That's going to turn into points eventually. And I I think you're right, though. They weathered the storm here a little bit. They went through the Chargers and the Steelers, and they gave up a ton of yards and not very many points. That storm hopefully has passed, and things will get a little bit easier, and they won't be facing off against offenses that are as explosive as the Chargers and the Steelers, like you said, until they play the Chargers the last game of the season. And then the other loser for the game, for me, it's it's Vaughn Miller. 
it's it's hard, as I said in the story, for someone to wear orange to be invisible, but Von Miller made it possible. And I get that he was going against double teams and he was getting chipped by tight ends and he was being, and, and some would say he's being held throughout the course of the game. But when you only have half a sack and one or two tackles and you're the highest paid defensive player in the league, you need to be better than that. No, I, I agree. You know, it's interesting. He Everything that you just said, the chips, the double teams, the the holding, all of those things are true, right? The, the game plan from the Steelers was to go away from Von Miller as much as possible, and they did. And so he didn't have the impact that he that we would like to see. I'm not necessarily giving him a pass, but it's clear that that opponents are willing to allow you know the other players on defense to beat them and not allow Von Miller to beat them. And so they game plan and they scheme away from him and they bring in the extra tight end to chip and they have the double team and they have, you know, the 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 running back stay in and and you know help block and those kinds of things and they do hold and there were there were a few op, uh, opportunities to throw the flag that were not taken by the referees when they could have called holding and, and that's frustrating but i think the point that you're making and it's an, and it's a good one is that shouldn't matter and when when you watch defensive players like Aaron Donald and Khalil Mack for example and the those two guys this year are having some great seasons. They face the same thing. They face the double teams. They face the chipping. They face the extra blocker. They face the holding. They they go through all of that stuff, yet they are still finding a way to make an impact. They are still finding a way to to get to the quarterback, to get in on plays, to, to disrupt passes, to, to force fumbles. They are still doing those things. Von Miller's not. And, and it makes me wonder if he's actually healthy. Uh, and uh, seriously, and if he's not healthy and he's out there and he's not healthy, then he shouldn't be out there. But if he's if he's healthy and this is what's going on, that makes me even more nervous because you're right. Highest paid defensive player in the league shouldn't shouldn't be invisible in orange. Uh, it's why hunters wear orange. So they stand out. You know what I love about that? They wear all this camouflage, right? But then they throw on an orange vest. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Why are you wearing all that camouflage if you're just going to wear an orange vest? Now, I know you wear the orange vest so you don't get shot because that would be a bummer. And that's that makes sense to me. But then why do you need the camouflage? You Only hiding your arms? Like, I don't want you to see my arms, but I do want you to see my chest. You could you could get shot in the arm, perhaps. It's a great question. It is. For a different podcast, probably. But it's a legitimate question. You know what? Tweet at me. If you're a hunter, because I'm not. I don't hunt. Um, but if you're a hunter, tweet at me why you wear you know, why you wear the camouflage under your orange vest. Like what is the purpose for that?
So what's your biggest takeaway? You you have your story coming up. What's your one big takeaway from this game? You know, I, the the biggest thing for me, my one big takeaway is that the Denver Broncos are fun to watch again. And it hasn't been fun for a while. But these last couple weeks have been exciting. They've been good games, and they've won. And so we had those first two games of the season that they won. They were close. You know, they beat the Seahawks. They beat the Raiders, and it was exciting. And then they sort of fell off. Now here we are after the bye week. They come out. You know, they, they've been struggling, but then they get they get two wins against two playoff teams. And to me, there's some excitement, right? There's some excitement in Broncos country, and I turn the games on less with trepidation and more with excitement. Before the game against the Chargers, it was trepidation going into every game. And then after they beat the Chargers, I got a little bit, I felt a little bit better. And then after this game, watching them play the Steelers and watching them go ahead and, and um, do the things that they needed to do to win and come out on top and know that they're in the playoff discussion and know that they're a team that there's a lot of talent on and they have a lot of potential and the future is bright, but the future could be this year if things break their way. I, f- I feel good about it. I feel good about the Broncos. And so for me, the one big takeaway is just how much fun it is to watch the Broncos right now, knowing that they're in it. And it's not just hoping that they lose so they get a better draft position so that, you know, they can pick the best quarterback or whatever. Like It's just like – I. I don't want to do that this year. I did that last year. It didn't work out anyway, although it did because they got Bradley Chubb. So let's just win some games, right? And it's fun. It was fun to watch today. I'm, I'm hoping for a fun game next week and a fun game after that, and I just want to keep the fun rolling. And that's the big takeaway, too. They, The team, as I said at the beginning of the season, I wanted to see what they would do when they face adversity. And regardless of how the adversity happens, whether it's self-inflicted or whether it comes from the officials, whether it comes from the opposing team, what do you do when you face adversity? And unlike the last two seasons, this team doesn't get derailed. And maybe a lot of that credit goes to Vance Joseph for what you said earlier in the podcast with how he gets the team prepared. Regardless of how it's happening, they're winning. And that's the most important thing. And for the time being, they're in the playoff discussion. Whether or not anything comes of it, who knows? But it's at least fun to talk about. Fun. I love fun. I'm so excited about fun. So, all right. Anything else? I, f- I feel good, right? You feel good? It's better than it was three weeks ago. This is this is what I love about Ian. He's, he's excited, but he's not he's not gonna get too excited. He's gonna keep it nice and even, right? I'll go ahead and I'll get I'll get a little bit crazy here. I'm super excited. I can't wait till they play the Bengals. They're gonna beat the Bengals, right? I mean, come on. They're gonna beat the Bengals. We got the same thing about when they went into New York and played the Jets. Oh, see why you gotta do that. I see what you did there. But we're on to Cincinnati. We are on to Cincinnati. You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. And as always, go Broncos. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation. And I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. 
It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. <laughs>